morning, everybody. Welcome to Cultivate. Uh, my name is Jay Francoeur. I um, get to pastor this group of people, and I enjoy doing so. They're a phenomenal group of people who are filled with the Spirit and uh, a, a wonderful uh, community that I get to be a part of, and I'm blessed to do that. Here's the thing that I, I would I want to kind of put into your minds. Um, all the things that we tend to think about as being the defining factors of who Cultivate Church is and what we're about, they're all symptoms of a deeper thing that's going on, right? So, so if you were just to say to somebody, and I know this is difficult, especially with somebody that doesn't understand the motivation for why we do certain things, but it's easy to tell people about the garden and go, that's what we're like. Um, and, and in some ways, that's a great picture of what God is doing in us, right? Because where there once was a, a field that was empty, God grew up something, and that something is not just feeding the people that are in that field or working it, but those outside of it, right? That's really our hope. That's kind of our vision. All those things that we tend to think about, our work in Haiti, um, our, our garden, the food pantry, the community aspect of who we are, the casual nature, all that kind of stuff is actually a, a symptom of a belief system which we have, which if you're going to quantify, if you're going to capture it, is something called the gospel. And and we have, as a church, um, even from the very beginning, when we started 20, 21 months ago, we, we began with a particular mantra to try and capture what it is that God was doing in our midst. And, and so, those of you who have been around a little while, what was that mantra? Yeah, deep roots, rich fruit, right? And what we're trying to convey through that is that God was up to something in our midst, and so our response to that was to find ourselves deeply rooted in Christ, in the good news of what He's done through His Son, all that stuff, and that as, as we become deeply rooted in that reality, that it would produce fruit, not just for our church, but for the people that our church touches. And so that's where some of the other things come in, like the pantry and the garden, and hopefully you and, and the neighbors that you have around you see a difference in you because you're being rooted in Christ. You're displaying to them a different kind of reality, one that they don't understand or know, but they know is different from the one that they know, right? So, so that's, that kind of encapsulates our identity, if you will, as a church and what, what it is that we're trying to follow. And so what we're going to be doing over the next two weeks is talking about what it looks like to, to have deep roots and then rich fruit. And so we're going to take the first one today, and then next week we're going to talk about rich fruit. And that's kind of when we're going to unpack a little bit what it looks like for us to, to be a people on a mission for God in the world. And we're going to talk specifically about what that means for us as a church and our future. But this morning, we, we can't get to that point. We can't talk about what God is doing if we haven't talked about what God has done. And so that, that's what we're talking about this morning, is the deep roots part. And if you were going to encapsulate it, it would be that God is giving to us good news, and we call that the gospel. Um, and so you can't bear fruit without that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so we're on page 781. If you're following along, we're going to pick up in verse 16 of Romans 1 when Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This gospel just means good news. And what he's saying is, I'm not ashamed of just any good news, but specifically this good news. 
that he's going to talk about. I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in Rome that are comprised of both Jewish people who have kind of been part of God's story for a long time and Gentile people who are non-Jews, everybody else, who doesn't know a thing about what God has been up to in his people, Israel, but who are now being included in God's story through Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is, look, this good news that I'm about to share with you and talk about, this is for everyone. It is for all people. Not just the good ones, not just the, the needy ones, not just this group or that group based on your heritage or whatever. It is for all people. And sometimes we get into the mindset that the gospel or the church or Christianity is just for people of a certain ilk. It's just for people who have Christian parents. It's just for people who have tried their best to live a good life and are, are succeeding somewhat in that endeavor. It's just for people who maybe grew up in the church and have been part of that story for a long time. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. You have no idea. It is for everyone. It is for all people. And so we need to understand that, that this gospel, regardless of where we've come to, from, to, to this story from our past, regardless of what's happened in our history, we are the ones, and not just us, but everyone, are the people that this gospel is for. And it is power for salvation for all of those people. It is the means by which God... In, gives power to his creation and does all things in the world. Okay, so we need to understand that kind of as we're going into this. It doesn't have anything to do with which political party you voted for or will vote for or how much money you give. It is for everyone. And so he then says this, for the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. In other words, God is showing the world something about himself. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So if, if somebody were to ask you, hey, what does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be, you know, wrapped up in this thing? Does it look like, you know, you have to go on Sunday morning, you have to give a certain amount, you have to participate in certain activities, you have to be like up to a certain good quotient, like to, to be accepted by God. No, 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 no. What, what Paul is saying is that to be God's people, to be His church, means that we, as His people, live by what? Faith. Another way to put that would be to say, God's people believe God for all things. So, so we operate our lives by faith believing that God's work is what's powerful, not our work. And so you see, it has absolutely nothing to do with how good you've been. It's not like you live a certain good life and then after a while God accepts you and brings you into His family and goes, yep, you've done a pretty good job, now I'll accept you. He's saying, no, 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 the people of God believe God in what He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. We have faith in it. We live our lives by it. And so what this means is that every thought, every action in our lives is a demonstration of our belief in God. 
or it's a demonstration of our disbelief in Him. Here's the truth. All of us believe God or disbelieve Him in everything that we do. Every action, every thought, everything that you do and participate in, all that's true of you is either a demonstration of whether or not you believe or whether you are living in disbelief. And not just about God, but everything, right? If I believe that I should uh, kind of get in shape, then I will do what? I'll exercise, right? I'm, I might go to the gym, or I might hit the pavement, or I might, you know, get some P90X tapes or, or something, and, and and I will I will work my butt off to literally to uh, to to, <laughs> to exercise, right? Because it's motivated by a belief that I should take care of the body that I have. S- same thing, like if, if you believe that you should have good teeth or good health, you will regularly go to the doctor or to the dentist, right? Hopefully both. Um, because you are motivated by a belief that those things help you and have a good outcome in your life. It works the same way, thing, way with everything that you do. Everything that you do is motivated by a belief. And the same thing works with a relationship with God. We are all motivated either by belief in what He's done or by disbelief in what He's done. And so to to believe the Gospel specifically, to believe the good news about Jesus, is to live out of the belief that God has the power to save. In fact, if you were going to kind of shrink down the gospel into a bite-sized sentence. It would be God's power to save. That's what it means to know the good news. And so to live my life by it, believing it, means that I apply that good news to every aspect of my life. And I live by it and for it. And we'll talk about what that looks like. Because specifically what it means is that we believe it in three ways. And we're going to talk about what those three ways are. It's a belief in what God has done. It's a belief in what God is doing. And it's a belief in what God will do. So in order to believe God, we need to believe Him in those three aspects. And we're all growing in in that way, in that sense. So the first one is this. We're going to talk about this for a little bit. Um, God has saved us from the penalty of sin. God has saved us from the penalty of sin. Of sin. That's the, the first thing that we're going to talk about is past tense. Um, if you look even the, the next verse down in Romans 1, it says this, that the gospel is being revealed and Paul's about to say, here's the first part of what's being revealed. And he says this, the wrath of God is being revealed. Now, if you're listening closely, you're thinking to yourself, wrath, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like angry, right? <laughs> Um, the wrath of God is being revealed. How in the world is that good news? Here's the thing. Um, if I have cancer, I need to know that I have cancer in order to get a remedy for it, right? And if somebody has a remedy for cancer and I know I have it, I'm more likely to seek out that remedy, am I not? If I know somebody has a remedy for cancer but I don't think I have it, I'm not going to seek out the remedy, And in fact, if I do have it, I may die not knowing what I died of. I may just cease to exist and, and others are, you know, may know and go, wait, he had cancer. Why in the world did he not seek out the cure for it? 
It was right there. He could have done something about it, and yet he chose not to. And the reason is because I was motivated by a belief that I didn't have it, right? But if I believe that I have cancer, I'm going to seek out the cure. And so what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, all of us have an issue, and we need to be serious about what that issue is if we're going to find what the remedy is. So if there, there's good news, but first we need to understand that there is a big problem in the world. And that problem affects each and every one of us. He goes on to say this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been what? Clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, a way to sum up all that would be to say, there is no one on the planet that can say, I don't know about God. No one. Because creation itself points to the fact that a Creator made it. And yet, there are all kinds of people, and maybe we've been one of them, or we are one of them, who choose not to see it that way, right? Or come up with all kinds of evidence that it isn't that way. One one in particular is a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins, and he uh, had a recent interview by which he was asked about God and about that's, and he is a, a staunch atheist, and he um, really hates any kind of religion, but specifically Christianity, wants nothing to do with it, wants people to turn away from it. And, and so the interviewer was, was trying to kind of bait him a little bit, and so he asked him, if, if there was a God, and, uh, and you went to see him after you were on this earth and you died, what would you say to them? What, what would you say to God? And, and this was his response. He said, I would say this, which God are you and why did you take such great pains to conceal yourself and to hide from us? Now listen to Romans 1. What Paul says is that God's creation clearly displays that God exists and has made the world in his image. How do we know? Because it's far more powerful than anything we could have put together. And so when we see the sun rise and the ocean tides come in and go out, we see hurricanes blow in and the enormity of creation, what we're supposed to do is say to ourselves, this is greater than me. I could not have put this together, so there must be one greater than me out there who did. And not only that, but creation itself actually speaks to who God is in His nature. When we look out at the oceans, we see beauty, right? I mean, unspeakable beauty. If you watch the sunset over the ocean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? We see integration of God's creation. We see provision. We see care. being t- All these things are actually a display of God's nature in everything that exists. So we're to look at the animals and the birds and the people, the mountains and the trees and the oceans, and all of it, working together and go, this is a picture of what God is like. 
And Paul says that knowledge is in every single one of us. All of us actually look at creation and see the very same thing. So, the question we need to ask is, why don't people recognize that they see that in creation? (laughs) That's one way to see it. Here's the issue, and Paul goes on to explain it. For although they, meaning people that, that don't, uh, don't see creation this way, they neither glorify him as God nor give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Here's the big issue. Here's the big problem. All of us look at creation and we say that someone out there is more powerful than me. And yet all of us at one point, at one moment in time or another, have had the very next thought after that one be, I know it exists but I choose not to believe it because I would rather be in control. Here's the reality. All of us would prefer to be God ourselves rather than acknowledge God who is powerful and has power over our lives. All of us would like the world to operate the way we would like it to work. And so when it doesn't, we choose not to believe that there is a God motivating and acting in all things to make it work that way. We suppress that truth so that we can cling to the reality that I am my own maker, creator. I am the master of my own destiny. All of us have this issue going on within us. We want to be our own gods. Which, if you think about it, really, is the most foolish position we could ever possibly have. It would be like my two-year-old son going, this house is mine, I created it. it is my, you need to operate according to my schedule. Uh, you need to feed me when I need to be fed. You need to go out when I need things. And you as parents are going, wait, that's what happens. <laughs> but do you see why it happens? Because he has the same issue that I do. All of us have it. We all want things to operate according to our preferences in the world. And that innate, that, that, that thing that's going on is within us even from the time that we are born. And those of you who are parents can see it on display over and over and over again in the daily life of your own households. Right? So th- this is what Paul says next. Here, here's what's motivating this big issue. And what happens as a result of it? He says, therefore, God gave them over. That's the bad news. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Why is the world so messed up? Why are there so many things that just seem off kilter to us that aren't right in the world? And we look out and we see there's pain and there's suffering. All kinds of things that we wouldn't design into a good world. Why does it all exist? 
because all of it is the product of God allowing us to see how things work when we're the ones in charge. How messed up is that? And the problem is that what's motivating all of it is that we've exchanged the truth of God who is the one who holds the world together for a lie and we've chosen to believe the lie instead. Now, some of you out there would say, I would never do that. I would never do that. I mean, what you're talking about sounds really, really bad. I mean, who would do that? I mean, atheists and like really bad people and guys in prison and all that stuff. I wouldn't do that kind of stuff because that's really messed up. And I would say, really? How many times do you find your significance in what you do? How many times do you say, I'm great because of what I've done? Or, I'm terrible because of how I've failed? Or I'm not loved because of what has been done to me. Or I need my boss to affirm me in everything that I am and to give me the paycheck and the kudos that I think I deserve. Otherwise, I'm nothing. I need my kids to turn out okay so that I will know that I'm a good parent in the end. I need to find someone, a man or a woman, who will love me for me because then I'll know that I'm truly loved. We've all done this, right? I mean, and hopefully an area of your life is popping to the surface as I've been listing things off. And it may not be in one of those categories, but there is something in your mind, in your heart, that you are looking to to find significance other than the Creator who made you. And all that is is exchanging the truth of God for a lie because you're looking to something that's been created to give you your significance rather than the one who created you in the first place and gives you life. It's exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And the Bible calls this idolatry. And all that means is that I'm taking something created and I'm worshiping it as if it's God. I'm depending on it for things that only God can give. And all of us have done this. All of us have believed this about some area of life. And here's the thing that happens. Here's, here's the rest of the bad news, if I can just be perfectly honest with you. What happens when you walk away from the one who gave you life and you choose to find your life in things that cannot produce life? You experience death. It's a little bit like the earth and the sun, right? The earth was created to experience the energy which comes from the sun. It is a dependent body. Life cannot happen on the earth apart from the sun's activity. So what happens if you take away the sun? What happens if the earth said to itself, you know what, I've been around the sun for a long time, all it does is burn me. And so I am going to distance myself from the sun. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to do it my way. What happens? Mass death. Everything on the earth would die. Everything would become cold. And the same thing happens to all of us who walked away from the Father and chose self-rule over His rule. We've walked away from the very source of life and we said, I'm going to find life in something else. And that 
choice produces in us eternal death and an existence of death here. In fact, Paul puts it this way in a different place in Ephesians 2 when he says, As for you, meaning people who have now come to faith in Christ, you were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, like the rest, we were by nature objects or children of wrath. What he's saying is we've all experienced the fruit of our own choices, and those choices produce death. And what he's going to go on to say is that in reality, there are really two families at work in the world. There are families that are defined by being children of wrath, And there are families who are defined by being children of God. And there is a very distinct difference between those two families. So you're probably thinking at this point, I thought this was supposed to be good news. (laughs) Like, anybody feel uplifted at this point in the message? Right? I've been like one big Debbie Downer through this whole thing. Where's the good part? Right? Here's the thing, though. If you don't believe this part, if you don't actually come to terms with the seriousness of your own rebellion against God, then the good news will not be so good for you. Because you will always wonder, why in the world would God send His Son for sinful people? I don't think I'm that bad. And you will walk through life either taking for granted the grace of God, or you will judge people who are far worse than you. All of that is a product of not seeing ourselves as the problem. We need to be serious and know that that God deals with sin seriously, and we are in that category. If we don't see ourselves in that category, then what God has done through His Son Christ will never be as sweet to you as it possibly can be. And let me tell you, when you understand the reality of your own sin, the grace of God that's found in Christ is the sweetest, most beautiful thing that you could ever have in your life. It is. But you need to be able to see it first. This kind of happened for me when when I was 21 years old. And I know I've told this a couple times, but this has been my reality. I lived my life believing in God. I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I grew up in church. I tried to live my life the right way. And I knew that God was trying to say something to me for probably about three years. And I continually chose to turn that radio station off over and over and over again. And God had to lead me through some very, very difficult circumstances where I was finally brought to the point where I needed to be able to see that every time I was allowed to make choices myself for my own good, they end in disaster. And so I got to the end of my junior year in college, and my life was a wreck. Because I had been trying to do everything myself, and every time God would say, hey, you need some help with that? I would say, no, 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 I've got it myself. I am the master of my own universe. I will take care of it. And over and over and over again, God allowed me to see the product of my own decisions until finally on March 1st, 2001, I said, 
I can't do this anymore. I give up. I can't. I'm finally seeing that what I've tried to make out of my life has ended in nothing but ruin. And so I give up. And God says, that's exactly where I want you because that's when I can come and save you. And He does. He does. And He did. And this is the good news, that Jesus lived the perfectly submitted life to the Father that we could not. Everything that we were incapable of doing ourselves, He did. Every, every thought that we were incapable of producing ourselves, He thought. Every action where we fall and fail, He succeeded. Every time we disobeyed the Father and chose self-rule, He submitted Himself to the Father perfectly and chose His will, even to the point of death on a cross. You see, there needed to be one man in the history of the world that actually did what we all claim to do and want to do but are unable to do. There needed to be one person who did that. And he did. And this is what happened. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, at the cross, Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, substituted Himself for those of us who weren't able to produce that kind of life ourselves. In every sense, in every way, He satisfied the wrath of God and gave us what He deserved, which is to be sons and daughters of God. At the cross, Jesus took on, do you realize this? He took on the very thing that He hates the most. He took on our rebellion against God. And He says, I, who have been faithful to God in all things, I will take the punishment and the blame for what they have done. I will do it so that they can go free. Do you know what this means? The God of the universe who knows every one of your thoughts and activities, who knows the depths of your rebellion against Him, sees you in all that you are, and yet chooses through His Son to forgive you and cleanse you and love you and accept you and say, you are mine. You're mine. I mean, let that wash over you for a second. Because none of us deserve it. That, that should cause us to stop in our tracks. I mean, when we sing songs to God, are you, just, are you overwhelmed with the reality of what He's done for you through His Son? I mean, to some extent, it should stop us from even being able to get the words out. We should just be in such awe of what God has chosen to do through His Son for each of us. See, if you really believe this, you're saying to yourself, this is the best news. There is no better news than this. So how would you know if you believed it? Like, what would be an indication in your life that you believe that this good news is true? Here's one indication. There would be absolutely no guilt, no shame, 
no need to hide, no need to cover up for the things that you do. The people that understand and believe that God has forgiven of their, them of their sins live in this reality and are so, can confess sin to other people in ways that sometimes we have a very hard time doing. We can be open and honest about who we are. Um, when I was a kid, I, I took a car ride with some friends of ours to go get some ice cream a few miles away from our house. And um, their, their mom had one of those like old-style um, Dodge caravans. You know which ones I'm talking about? Um, it, it had the three rows of seats. And it was a really fun experience because we never had a, a vehicle like that. So it was like getting to sit like in the way back seat, like as far away from the grown-ups as possible was just the coolest thing in the world. And so we, we drive and we go to get ice cream and uh, we all hop in the car and I forget why exactly we had to go back right away, but um, I remember my friend's mom being like, okay, we're going to get in the car and you guys have ice cream. So I need you to be like super careful with your ice cream. Please don't get it on my seats or on my car. I don't know what she was thinking, really. Um, so she's telling us this, these like, you know, bunch of boys in the back seat. You know it's, it's, we're headed for a disaster. So we, we all pile in the back seat and I'm being like super careful, my hands like shaking. And we, and we start, start on the way home. Don't you know it? I take one lick and the thing falls right out of the cone onto the floor. And so like, I mean, you're a little kid in this situation. You've got nothing but an empty cone in your hand. What do you think I did? I like eat the cone as fast as possible, and like the mom looks in the back, you know, in the mirror and goes, "You're done already?" I'm like, "Yeah, I was really hungry." <laughs> Meanwhile, there's melting ice cream on the floor, right? It is just everywhere. It's like sticky, gooey. I'm like, I'm trying to like shuffle it away with my foot. So we get back to the house, right, and we all unload from the car, and I'm just thinking to myself, please, God, let her not find this ice cream. I, I don't know what I was thinking, you know, little kids, you, this is how the way they think. So we go into the backyard and we start to play, and don't you know, I'm just starting to forget about the shame of leaving that ice cream pile where it was, that I hear her from the driveway scream out, Jay! <laughs> And so I ran. <laughs> we were about three blocks from home. I got up from the sandbox and I took off running for home. And, and it's funny because later on, you know, my mom gets the phone call and my, you know, she talks to me. What did you do? See, all of that is, is motivated by the fact that I didn't believe that I could go to her and say, I made a mess. I'm really sorry. Because I, I thought in my mind, she, she's going to be too harsh with me, and it's too much shame to take on, and I, I'm really sorry, it's just a terrible thing, and maybe she's going to make me clean it up, and I don't want to do that, so I'm trying to avoid punishment. You know, how many of us do that when it comes to stuff in our lives? When we mess up, when we drop the ice cream cone in the minivan, if you will, and yet when... Our Father, who sees everything, says, did you do this? We hightail it out of there, and we run away from Him. See, people who know the Gospel 
would pick up that ice cream cone and bring it to our father and go, I made a mess. Will you fix it? Will you clean it? Because I can't do anything with this. Those are the ones who know the gospel. Those are the people who really understand that what Christ did at the cross took away all of our shame, all of our sin, that it's all been forgiven, it's all been cleansed, it's all made new. Those are the ones who understand it. And so I would ask, do you believe that gospel? Do you believe because it will manifest itself in your life because you will run to God when you mess up and when you do things wrong and you will be perfectly honest with, with other people when you harm and do things wrong to them. Because you're not afraid anymore of what they might think of you or what they might say to you. Because the judge of the universe has already declared you good and clean and righteous through His Son. And so, what, what do I need to fear? I don't need to fear anything because I know the Gospel. I want to skip ahead to kind of do the, the last part. God is saving us from the power of sin, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like next week. But I want you to know this, that God will save us from the presence of sin too. Here's the reality that's in store for everyone whose future hope is also in Christ. The Apostle Peter says this, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This may shock you, but things will never be as they should be on this world until Jesus comes back to make everything new. We may pray for things, we may pursue things in life, we may do things and never see the fruit of our work. We may ask God to heal people, to make things right in this world, and it doesn't happen. So what do we do with that? We need to be able to see that our final hope is in what God will do when He makes all things new, and He will. I was reminded of this just on Thursday, because our group was uh, praying together for different things in life. And one of the things that we prayed for was for um, uh, one of the children in our group, Lily McNamara, um, who's great friends with Caleb, and we love her, and we love Kyle and Natalie. And um, Natalie came up and shared um, at the beginning of the summer what's happening in their lives and with uh, Lily and her hearing um, and the fact that, that uh, she has profound hearing loss. Um, and so they went through surgery with her to have a cochlear implant. And that implant will, God willing, restore much of her hearing. It won't be perfect. It won't be as it should. Um, but we we're really praying that because it's going to get activated this week, right, it's this week, that, um, that God would really just use this system to provide her the hearing that she doesn't have yet so that she'd be able to grow and 
get mainstreamed into regular schools and be able to hear as much as she can. And the technology is improving all the time, all the time. And so it's just getting better and better and better. And so we really lived in a blessed time where we have access to these types of things that weren't available to us just a few years ago. And so we're praying that, you know, God would allow her to, to be able to hear. And as we were praying, I just, I felt like the Spirit was leading me to pray for an ultimate reality and not just the one that we experience today. Because regardless of whether or not Lily hears this week and how effective the cochlear implant is for her, one day she will hear perfectly. A day is coming, and how sweet will it be when when she has the opportunity to hear with perfect ears And the first thing that she's going to hear when she has those ears is the voice of her Savior telling her how much he loves her. That's the ultimate reality that she has to look forward to. And I pray to God that he allows me to be there to see that moment. Because that day is coming. I mean, can you imagine if you go through, and maybe you've been through a life with some kind of disability, getting to the end, having your hope in that day, and being able to be fully restored so that the presence of sin is no longer present in your life? I mean, I can't imagine what it's going to be like for her to stand in the assembly of God's people who have existed for all of eternity and to hear the praises of Jesus being sung by God's people Can you imagine what that would be like if you haven't heard yet? Now apply that to your existence because that day is coming for you if you are in Christ. And what that means is you can either have your hope in this world and what it accomplishes for you or you can have your hope in that day. And I pray that it's the latter. Because if your hope is in that day, then no matter what this day throws at you, you will not look to it as your Savior. You will be able to press through it knowing that there's a greater day for you. So if your hope is in this world, then you will constantly live your life on whether this world is producing for you what you want it to. And when things don't go well for you, you will be destroyed and wrecked. But if your hope is in that day, then you can press through everything that this world has for you. You can press into the mission of God. You can trust Him for things. You can take risks for the kingdom that you never thought possible because your hope is not in here, it's in there. I want to ask you, do you believe this gospel? Because it is the power of God to save you from everything. God is has saved you from the Penalty of sin. He is saving you from the power of sin in your life. And He will save you one day from the very presence of it. Do you believe it? Because that's where it starts. This is the beginning of a changed life. For you, it is the beginning of a new season for our church. And if we believe it, this is stage one to God doing some phenomenal things through us. But we got to believe this gospel first. And so do you believe it? I hope that you do. I really do. God is power enough to save. I hope you believe that message today. Let's pray.
Father, we thank You so much for this Gospel that gives us life, it gives us freedom, it gives us hope. We thank You, God, that You do not count our sins against us, but You made a way to overcome a problem that we could not overcome ourselves. And so, God, we trust You in it. Make it true of us and help us to believe it in all things. God, thank You that we also have a future reality that we can look forward to, a day when we will be fully saved. And so, God, we ask that we would look to that day and not to this day to satisfy us. God, we love You. We pray that we would believe You in all things and that in believing we would become Your people on mission for you and your glory in this world. In Christ's name, amen.